Thank you, Pastor Jason. I'm really thankful you didn't talk about the many, 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 many years uh, of service that I have. <clears throat> There's a, a, a standing joke in the office. Um, what were you doing when Pastor Ron was 30? <clears throat> and most of them's like, well, I didn't even exist then. <laughs> it's a little disconcerting. Uh, so I did the math. I added up four of our uh, newest pastors, well, not newest, four of our pastors' time in service, and compared that to how long I've been a pastor, and I still beat them by more than double. Wow, somebody be old. I had the privilege of sharing the word with you this morning, and uh, I look forward to um, discovering what God wants to speak to us as a family. But it is Advent, right? And Advent is a season when gifts are given, uh, anticipating the gift of Jesus. But I have gifts that I want to give away, Purdy's chocolates. Now... These have been in my office all week, and I can't guarantee they haven't been broken into, but they may have. They may actually have chocolates in them. <clears throat> I want to give this to someone who is at least 20 years or older, one on the main floor and one on the balcony. So if you want a box of chocolate, you're 20 years or older, come on down or come on up. Now, there'll be some special instructions. Here we go. <laughs> there we go. Gwen, did you come from the balcony? Oh, okay. Anyone in the balcony? What's your last chance? Oh, here we go. Come on. Now, some special instructions. Here's the deal. Don't open them until I tell you. Okay. Oh, oh John, you lost it, man. There you go. So here's the special instructions. Don't open them until I tell you. Also, do not sit on them. They'll melt. Okay? Just a fair warning. Okay? So I'll give you some instructions a little later on. Uh, Purdy's chocolates. Fantastic. We are going to continue in our series, The 21st Century Church. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them. If you need a Bible, they're available in the foyer, or if you have your electronic device, just don't check Facebook. Uh, I think we have a Facebook blocker in here, but I'm not sure about that. We want to spend some time in the Word. Paul shifts his focus in this chapter from some of the problems in the Corinthian church to some of the potential or the possibilities if you focus on Jesus. Uh, he continues to address some of their challenges, but he moves on to spiritual matters. And you'll hear me talk about a bunch of words this morning, uh, but in particular, one word I want you to remember, it's the word charisma, or literally translated, gift of grace. Can we remember that? Charisma means? Yeah, some of you aren't convinced, but truly it does. It means gift of grace. Um, so we're going to read the passage, I'll pray, and then I'm going to give you the uh, overview, and then we'll, we'll head into the text and have some fun, hey? It's good. Uh, in the first service, nobody threw anything, so it was okay. So I'm asking for the same here. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, actually the word there, not spiritual gifts, it's just spiritual, so I'll explain that. I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions them to each one individually as he wills. What a fantastic passage, hey? Who doesn't like gifts? Let's have some fun unpacking it. Let me pray, and then I'll just give you my outline, and we'll go from there. Father, we're grateful for your word. It's so powerful. And as we give ourselves to sitting under your word, submitting to your word, Lord Jesus, would you speak to our hearts by your spirit? Would you open our minds, open our hearts to what you want us to understand and what you want us to take away? And Father, would you find us faithful as we not only give ourselves to hearing your word, but becoming actively participating in what you're doing, that we might be doers of the word too, and thereby showing ourselves to truly be your disciples. So God, we give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to just talk a little bit about four things this morning. We're probably going to get through three. Somebody wrote a lot more notes than I remember. Uh, four things this morning. Charisma, ignorance is not bliss. Okay? Charisma... Participating in the work of God. We're called to participate. Charisma, normative, is, is not optional. And finally, charisma, we're called to focus on the giver, not the gift. So let's just start with charisma, the gifts of grace. Ignorance is not bliss. That's where Paul actually starts in this passage. And it's kind of a bit of a different um, opening into the chapter here. Paul says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. What an interesting way for Paul to start. He always knows how to win favor with people. What he wants us to understand and what he understands from the Corinthian context is just how overtly pagan society had become. In Corinth, it was a, a center for idol worship. It was a center for the worship of Aphrodite the goddess of love, and you would actually go and, and uh, you'd worship with ten temple prostitutes. It was the worship uh, center for Apollo and Poseidon and Demeter, who was the goddess of fertility. The city was brimming with idols and shrines and statues and temples. You couldn't, you couldn't move without seeing all these idols everywhere. And Paul begins by pointing out what should be obvious to everyone, but all too often is not, that idols lead to ignorance in the realm of the spirit. Now, I say it's, it's all too often, or should be all obvious, but often is not, is because in our day and age, we have that same thing happening. See, he tells us there's this danger of being ignorant concerning spirituals. The word is spirituals. could be spiritual gifts, or could be spiritual things, or could be spiritual people. But it's concerning the spiritual realm, he says. I don't want you to be uninformed. You know, when you were pagans, you were led astray all over the place. See, the simple truth is this, that we are ignorant and we are uninformed about spiritual things apart from God revealing it to us himself. Since the foundation of the world, people have been trying to explain the spiritual realm and they've gotten it wrong. If you go all the way back to the Babylonian creation myth, the Enuma Elish, you'll discover that they thought the way the world was created and humanity was formed was by the gods fighting. One god killed another god. His body shriveled up, formed the world, and out of his blood sprang humanity. That's a great start. 
If you go to ancient Egypt, right? I mean, the, the, the monuments that were built to the gods, the pyramids, all trying to understand the afterlife and eternal life. All this effort to try to get into the mind of God, but missing it all the way. You, you move ahead into the, the Greek period when there's this pantheon of gods, and, and the gods really sounded like they lived in Surrey. You start to understand, right? They're always at war with each other, and they're having no fun, and they're, they're stealing each other's hubcaps off of their chariots. It's just not a good place to be. And then you move into the Roman times, where the Romans just inherited the Greek gods and changed the names, but it's the same idea. I, I would submit to you it's no different in our world. We have all manner of gods that we seek after. We are a spiritual world, a spiritual people, a spiritual culture. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of going to Thailand. And the thing that struck me more than anything else was the number of shrines and temples and, and places for worship all over the place. Every house, pretty much every house, had a shrine. Pastor Gary, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. See, there's this foundational truth that Paul wants us to understand. That only when, we got, when God reveals his truth to us do we have only any hope of gaining understanding. That's why he sent his son Jesus in human form. We were ignorant and we needed special revelation. And only God could give that to us. That's why God gave us his word, Jesus, the living word, and the written word, so that we could come to know him. Because the best that humanity has to offer however we discover it, are mute idols that are indifferent, uninformed, and useless. But our world's the same, you know? I talk about Thailand. In North America, our gods are science, secular humanism, individualism, money, fame, sex. Those are only a few. We, we don't talk about them as if they're gods, but we certainly live as if they're our gods. And here's Paul's point, that left to our own devices, we will be led astray to mute idols, however that happens. But, he says, look at verse 3, but he says, therefore, I want you to understand, I want you to clue in, that no one speaking in the, in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can, is able to say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The antidote to, to ignorance is understanding, a spiritual awakening or an awareness that requires a move of God's Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. It may seem obvious that no one would ever say Jesus is accursed by the Spirit of God, but it's a little less obvious that declaring Jesus is the Lord can only come through the Spirit. It's easy to say Jesus is Lord, isn't it? Can you say that? Jesus is Lord, right? I mean, everyone can say that. So what's Paul saying? I think this is what he's trying to get at. See, often I hear people say, I found Jesus. You ever heard people say that? There's a whole, uh, who, who's that band that sings that song? I found Jesus, hoo, hoo, hoo. Patty, who is that? Come on, work with me, Patty. Oh my, she's so difficult this morning. Who is it? Delirious. Yes, they're delirious, but who are they? <laughs> yeah, I know they're delirious. I found Jesus. Well, okay. Or 
I hear people say things like, um, I've decided to follow Jesus. Remember, we have a great hymn. I have decided. Right? We have that stuff. It's great. But the truth is that we are incapable of making that decision apart from God's grace. We are incapable of calling Jesus the Lord apart from a revelation of the Spirit. See, while I may have found Jesus, the reality is Jesus by his Spirit sought me out. Do you know that? That while I may have decided to follow Jesus, Jesus by his Spirit gave me the faith to follow. You may say, Van Acker, why are you splitting hairs? What's the big deal? I think it's of critical importance, and here's why. One suggests that we're the authors of our faith. The other suggests that apart from a move of the Spirit, we're hopelessly lost. That we're no better than pagans trying to figure it out on our own. One orients God according to my faith. I get to design God according to, to my preferences. The other designs my life according or orients my life according to my Savior. I suggest that some of us actually land there in our faith. That our faith is built on our convictions, our determinations, our intellect, our will. We retool God in our own image, accepting what we like and rejecting the rest. That we like to embrace Jesus as our Savior. Because that's good, right? But we reject him as our Lord. I met with a friend not so long ago. I won't mention his name. I've known him for 30 years. I had lunch with him. And uh, over the lunch, he told me that he had decided to um, redefine what it meant to be a Christian. And I said, well, what do you mean? How do you get to do that? He said, well, I've come to discover that I don't believe the Bible anymore. And I don't believe there's a hell. And I uh, think Jesus was a good moral teacher. And so I'm a Christian because I think that. And my response to him, because I've known him for 30 years, was, that's a load of crap. I actually use a stronger word because I live in Chilliwack, but I, I can't say that in the pulpit. <laughs> yeah. Dung, dung, that would have been the other stronger word. <laughs> totally. And he said, that's offensive. And I said, yes, what you said is very offensive. <laughs> what he's done is he's decided that he's decided to follow Jesus. And he'll call Jesus Lord as long as it's convenient. But Paul wants us to understand we don't get to make that choice. It's only by the Spirit of God that we have any hope of understanding the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. See, Paul speaks into human ignorance and proclaims, no one, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In the original language, literally it says this, we are impotent to say Jesus is Lord, except only by, only through the Spirit of God. See, God wants us to understand that calling Jesus Lord changes everything about who we are. Paul here is calling the Corinthians to understand a paradigm shift. And he wants us to understand the same thing. He wants us to think of our very identity as a gift from God to us. 
I like what Stephen Um says in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. He, he reads it this way. It should pop up on the screen. There it is. In this pluralistic world, individuals pride themselves on making informed intellectual decisions about religion and worldview. While Paul never downplays the importance of engaging the mind, asking good questions, or expressing and addressing doubts and issues, he does make the radical claim that there is no such thing as becoming a Christian by achievement. The fundamental identity of a Christian, defined by the confession, Jesus is Lord, is not something that can be achieved, earned, arrived, or arrived at at self-exertion. The confession of faith can only be made in the Holy Spirit. Faith is given, it's a gift. It removes all pride and ego because an individual's abilities and skills are all gifts. What do you think? See, what it really means is calling Jesus Lord reorients our identity and it frames our reality. That's why I think it's so important just to hang on this particular point for a while. It's important to understand that the first gift of grace, the first charismata that we have received, is the gift of revelation that Jesus is Lord. It's given by the Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. To say Jesus is Lord is more than a trite uh, declaration. It's an eternal proclamation of loving devotion and lifelong determined obedience. If you don't think I'm tracking, read Jesus himself. I'll give you two passages. We don't have time to look at them this morning. But Matthew 7, 21 to, 31, uh, 21 to 23, and Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Matthew 25, 31 to 46 is the parable of the last judgment, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Both groups, the sheep and the goats, say Jesus is Lord. But one enters into the joy of his master, and the other is cast into darkness. What's the difference? One actually serves the king. The other does not. They serve themselves. To call Jesus the Lord is so much more than appropriating the savedness of Jesus. Isn't that a great word? Look that one up in your dictionary. You won't find it. But I'm Dutch, so I get to change the English language because it sucks. <laughs> it does. It's horrible language. So many of us want to appropriate the savedness of Jesus, the salvation we find in him, right? We like that part. But to call Jesus Lord is to align our lives in keeping with his authority, his dominion, and his lordship. And it's only out of his authority, his dominion, and his lordship that we have any hope of being saved. we got to reverse the order. Jesus is Lord, and because he's Lord, he has saved me. Not Jesus is Savior, and I'll be the Lord. To call Jesus Lord is to declare that he comes first in all things. All of my life is lived in submission to him. Listen to how Paul frames it when he writes to the Romans. Romans 10, 8 and 9. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Now catch this. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. To what end? Why did Jesus die and, and rise again? For our salvation? 
Not what the passage says. Here we go. Listen to this. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Why did Christ die and rise again from the dead? To prove, to authenticate his authority as Lord. See, informed spirituality is focused spirituality. It is focused on the lordship of Christ. And to live with charisma, the gifts of grace that God wants to give, is to live focused on the Lord. If you want to live a spiritual life, you must take your cues from Jesus. His truth becomes your reality. His example becomes your model. His values become your standard. His mission becomes your life goal. And life in him becomes your raison d'etre, your reason to live. If you want to live a life of spiritual vitality, you have to live for Jesus. Not as your Savior, but as your Lord. The Savior part, that's the bonus. Have you been following the news recently? Have you heard about a fellow named John Chow? John Chow was a missionary who died on November 17th, a couple, couple weeks ago. He was 26 years old, and he was killed trying to reach an isolated people group in the Sentinel, North Sentinel Islands, in the Adaman Sea, which is actually just east of Thailand, but everyone's, or sorry, just west of Thailand, everyone says it's east of India. It's a long ways away from India. It's pretty close to Thailand, actually. He tried to evangelize a tribe on the North Sentinel Island that had not been reached, according to the news reports, for a thousand years. Those be lost people, yeah? Yeah. He prepared for two years to share Christ with these people. And when he first went in, he went in in a boat, and he was met with an arrow, Right? You know, he, he called out, Hi, my name is John. I'm here to tell you Jesus loves you. And they shot an arrow at him. And, and he got the arrow in his waterproof Bible. It stopped the arrow. So that's amazing, right? I actually want to know, what is a waterproof Bible? I've never had one of those. That'd be cool. But the arrow part, not so much. Listen to what his friend said about him. John put his life on the line for Christ. That was who he was. John wrote in his diary just days before his death, you guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worthwhile to declare Jesus to these people. John died. You know, if there's one thing I know about John, I don't know if he was crazy or not, I knew he loved Jesus. And he thought that because Jesus was his Lord, it was worth putting everything on the line for the sake of the gospel. That's what lordship is. See, the bottom line is this. Those who are inspired by the Holy Spirit will speak and act in ways that glorify the Lordship of Jesus. They'll live lives to the glory of God their King, to Lord Jesus, even if it costs them everything. That's why Lordship is so important in terms of the spiritual realm. Because you can't understand it if Jesus isn't your Lord. And that only comes by the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing I want to talk about this morning. It's called charisma, participating in the work of God. There's a bit of a shift in the passage again. He shifts from a focus on spiritual things in general, or the text says spiritual gifts, um, to things of the Spirit, or charisma, gifts of grace. Now, look at me at verse 4 through 6. Now, he says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but 
it is the same God who empowers them all in all. When I first read this, I thought, oh my word, what am I supposed to do with that? And as I spent some time in it, it became really clear. Uh, I love where Paul starts. It's a, it's a fantastic word. It's the word now. Now, he says at the beginning of verse 4. Now. See, he wants to understand, having established the baseline of the lordship of Jesus Christ and having laid a foundation for spiritual understanding, now his readers were ready to understand the implications of the gifts of grace that the Spirit wanted to give the church. That's the same as true for us. When Jesus is revealed as Lord and we receive the revelation, God graciously invites us to participate in his work of redemption. He invites us to engage in his determination to build the church. That's what he's saying here. And Paul lays out this foundation that includes a, what's called a Trinitarian formula. It's a formula that includes the, the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. The Spirit, the Lord, and God. He wants us to understand that, that the Spirit who gives the gifts, gives them so we can accomplish the service that the Son has prepared in advance for us to do with the power that the Father gives so that he will accomplish his purposes. That's what's happening here. Start with verse, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And I want you to notice the pattern that happens here, by the way. There's varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. There's all kinds of gifts the Spirit gives. We'll get into that in a minute. There's all kinds of ways to serve. We'll get into that in a minute. And there are all kinds of activities or outcomes that happen. But listen to this. They're given, determined, and fueled by the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. This is, this is the Trinity at work to build his church. The emphasis here is not on the gifts or the service or the activities. The emphasis is very much on the giver. It's intended for us to understand that it's God who wants to work through us to build his church and build his kingdom. This should frame our understanding of spiritual gifts as we go on. But I say this because my, my, my experience has been, 30 years in ministry now, my experience has been that more often than not, two things happen in terms of spiritual gifts. There is either ignorance or there's confusion, or ignorance or obsession. People don't know a thing about spiritual gifts, and they don't even want to know about spiritual gifts. That's ignorance, and that's not good, because ignorance is not bliss. Well, there's an obsession about gifts. We want to know about the gifts of the Spirit, as opposed to the one who gives the gifts. We're called to focus on the giver, not the gifts. See, what happens, because we tend to be somewhat carnal, is we focus on the gifts and we elevate some of the, what I call the more spectacular gifts, at least they seem that way, like prophecy and miracles or preaching. Oh, you have such a gift. I hear that. Oh, pastor, you have such a gift. That's right, I do, but it's not mine. So don't elevate the person. Elevate the spirit. And we downplay things like service or hospitality or helps. We elevate things like pastoral leadership, which, which is right and good. You're supposed, that's supposed to be funny. Right? I mean, my official title, Most Holy Mega Reverend, it's a great title. It's a little much on you know, the application forms, but I'm getting used to it. I'm waiting for my mail order hat, the big one, you know. My miter has arrived, we still have to assemble it. But don't we do that? Don't we elevate the office of pastor 
Or what about worship leader? Hey, oh man, those guys are good. Or, or, or ministry staff in general. Elders. Ooh, really? I said an elder. Ooh. Hey, that, you know, Paul Graham over there. Ooh, ooh. It's a little glow around Paul right now. Not really. He's one of the most humble men you'll ever meet. But we do that. We tend to elevate ministries, certain ministries, and we downplay what we think are lesser acts of service, like visitation. Lynn Page and her visitation team go around and visit all the shut-ins of this church. Is that not incredible? That's a, that's a manifestation of the Spirit. We have a nursery. Nobody wants to serve in nursery. Right? You know what those kids do? <laughs> I'm going to run out of time. But I'm going to go real quick for just one story. I went to a church in um, Steinbeck, Manitoba, of all places. Can anything good come from Steinbeck? There, they have, a, they have a philosophy of ministry about nursery ministry. They have a philosophy of ministry in general. It's prayer. If you're a nursery worker, your primary task is to pray. And every child that is in the nursery every week is prayed over by the ministry team that's there. They pray God's blessing. They pray that they would come to know Jesus at an early age. They pray for protection. They pray for the family. Is that not fantastic? It has nothing to do with diapers. It has everything to do with with bringing these kids to the throne of grace. Wow. We, We have a great new ministry here at the church. It's called a rat catcher. Um, we, uh, it's getting winter, right? You know, rats. We have this old building that we call the loose caboose. It's this disgusting thing at the back of the church, which we really should burn down, but you go to jail for that. So we're not going to. <laughs> we have a fellow who comes and who actually catches the rats for us. I love him. Right? We're never going to put his picture on stage because you'll never talk to him again. But just, you know something? That's, that's ministry. We tend to focus on the outcomes. We get all hyper and worried, like, oh, I couldn't do that because what if it fails or, you know, I'm not really good and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're right. You're not very good. None of us are good, but God is. We, we celebrate success, at least as we understand it, numbers and growth and multiplication. But that's not success in God's perspective. We downplay faithfulness in the face of adversity. And sometimes failure. But if you've ever read the prophets, you'll discover they all failed according to human standards. And yet they were all faithful. Let me unpack this a little bit more. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. See, not only does the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to us, he empowers his people for a life of ministry and service. There are a variety, a broad distribution of gifts, differing gifts, this plethora of gifts. The gifts are the charisma again, to show favor and grace. They're they're gifts of grace, and they are dispersed diversely and in any way the Spirit wants. There's a variety of gifts. So, you know, something we get hung up on the gifts sometimes. And if if you want to understand a really comprehensive list of the gifts, let me know how that goes for you because you won't find it. You can read. Romans 12, there's gifts there. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, gifts there. Ephesians 4, gifts. 1 Peter 4, Thessalonians, the book of Acts, all of the Gospels, and then shift into the Old Testament. If you want to understand all of the gifts of the Spirit, look at the the graph before you. Does that not look confusing? It is. 
And it's meant to look confusing because there's a variety of gifts. There's a diversity of the grace gifts that the Spirit gives. A, a variety of tangible ways that God pours into and empowers His people. There's this grace experience that God wants us to understand that is meant to build on our calling Jesus Lord. God wants us to know about it and participate in it. He's building his kingdom, and he will empower us with whatever gifts we need to accomplish what he wants to get done. These are extraordinary endowments of grace intended to facilitate the extraordinary mission of God. The gifts aren't important, but the giver is. It's the same spirit. There's different kinds of service, Paul goes on to say. Works of grace. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of ministries or works of grace, a multiplicity of ways and opportunities to serve and to be engaged in ministry. I love the root word for service here. It's deacon or servant. If you want to serve effectively, you have to have the heart of a servant. It becomes a matter of your very identity, a determination to serve Jesus as your Lord. And there's this abundance of ways to serve. There is varied as there are hours in the day. Here at Central, here's some ways you can serve. There's visitation, prison ministry. Tomorrow, there's a group of us who are going to go into Mountain Institution and serve lunch to some prisoners who are there. Uh, that's fantastic. I just get to go along, but there's a whole group who have a real heart to do this uh, coming out of Agassiz. It's amazing to me. There's food sustainability out in Lake Arrow because we launched this campus in the middle of nowhere. There's the ability to provide food for the people there who have nothing. And we're starting to do that out of the church there. Here in Chilliwack, Cyrus Center, the Ed Center breakfast every week. People get up early on a Monday morning to make breakfast for the, the youth across the way who have nothing. We get to feed them. It takes a variety of gifts. We have people who cook. We have people who clean up. We have people who shop. We have people who deliver. We have people, I mean, it's just amazing to me. There's ushering and tech ministry and worship teams and hospitality and library and youth and kids ministry. The opportunities are endless to engage. But here's the reality, folks. The engagement is minimal. The rule of thumb is that 80% of the work in the church is done by 20% of the people. And Central is no different than that. But here's the point that Paul wants us to understand. All these opportunities for service are given by one and the same Lord. It's a critical point to understand that ministry and service is not self-generated or a matter of personal preference. Rather, these are opportunities crafted by Jesus for the benefit of his body. An opportunity to express submission and devotion to Jesus as Lord by rolling up our sleeves, exercising our gifts, and serving our King. Some of us need to recognize that we are effectively thumbing our noses at Jesus when we fail to engage the spiritual gifts that we've been given by the Spirit in the variety of opportunities that Jesus has prepared for us to do. That sound too harsh? It's reality. I used to have a mentor. His name was Carlin. He's gone to be with the Lord, so I can say this. Uh, he was a pastor at uh, Willingdon Church, and uh, he, would, he would talk with his hands a lot. Ron! Ron, we have a problem. What's the problem, Carlin? We have a lot of perchers. A lot of perchers. I said, oh. Yeah. What we need are nesters. 
no idea what you're talking about, Carla. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm not that smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, preachers. People who fly in on a Sunday morning, they leave a mess and then they fly away. <laughs> Lot of perchers. What we need are nesters. What's a nester? A person who'll come make this their home, help build what God's called us to do together. Too many perchers. Which are you? Are you a percher or a nester? See, some of you need to be here because God's called you here to have your heart healed. You need to be under the word, and, and that's fantastic. But don't become complacent. God's called you to help build his kingdom. Remember, he's given you the opportunity. Jesus has performed these, these, these works in advance. This is what Ephesians 2 has to say. Listen to this. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by the grace you have been given through faith, you, sorry, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no man can boast. Right? That's the salvation side of things. We like that side of things. But it goes on to say this. Verse 10. For we, you and me, are his, that's God's, workmanship. Ha! Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared in advance or beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that fantastic? What we're called to do is not so important as who we do them for. We're called to embrace the variety of services or opportunities that God has handcrafted for us as his people. Do you know that God has prepared work for you in advance that he wants you to accomplish? Let me ask the, the, the second part of that question. Are you engaged to the glory of God? Or are you content to sit on the sidelines? Pastors like this should cause us to pause and ask the question, Lord Jesus, where are you at work? And how would you have me participate? Paul goes on to say there are, there are a variety of activities but it's the same God who empowers them all in all. I love this, uh, the phrasing here again. There are activities. It's this interesting word. It can be translated a number of ways. There's a variety of work or things we can do, but Jesus has already taken care of that. So I don't think that's what it's saying. It also means effects or outcomes. There's a variety of outcomes or possibilities. The, the root word here is energy or empowerment. And at the core, what, what Paul is saying, I think, is that God energizes and empowers all of the activities and work that we set our face to doing. When believers exercise their gifts, God works through us to accomplish his purposes. It's this marvelous mystery. You see, what it means is you don't have to generate the energy to get things done. You just need to give yourself to doing what God's called you to do. He'll empower you. It's God working in and through you, through me. It means we don't have to worry about the outcomes. So many of are so afraid. What if I mess up? I know. I get that feeling. But we don't have to worry about the outcome. That's in the purview and the privilege of God. 
Our part isn't to worry about what happens when we serve. Our part is to serve. Our part is the faithful exercise of the gifts that the Spirit has given, engaged in the works and the opportunity that the Lord has ordained, empowered by the one God who empowers them all in all. Amen? Ah, that should free us. Third point, with negative six seconds. Ha-ha! <laughs> but I have the pulpit. They can't kick me out. Uh, charisma. It's normative, not optional. Now, just really quickly. With Jesus as Lord participating in the work of God to build the church, it is normative, not optional, for every believer to be engaged. Listen to what verse 7 says. To each is given. To who? Each. Turn to the person next to you and say, you don't look like much, but to you, God has given something. <laughs> you, you don't have to say that you don't look like much part. Just the... I was thinking about myself if I was sitting next to someone. I, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That should set your feet to dancing, folks. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each one, individually, God has determined by His Spirit to empower you with some gift of grace that He wants to use to manifest His presence to His body. That is amazing. The God who created the universe wants to give you a gift so that you can manifest his presence. You can help him show up to build his church. To each is given. Everyone separately, every believer in Jesus has at least one extraordinary endowment of grace. Everyone, no matter how old, how active, how mature, or how you feel, has been given a gift. And if you feel you have nothing in yourself, you're right, you don't. But the Spirit will give you or has given you something. And if you don't know what it is, don't worry about it. Just start trying to figure it out. Get into a community group. They'll help you discern those kinds of things. Talk to Pastor Jason. He keeps telling me every day what my gifts are. Right? Sure. Yeah, we'll talk later. To each is given. I love this phrase. This is a highly technical Greek word, is given. Are you ready for it? Is given literally means to give. Mm -hmm, I know. Very technical. To each is given. But here's the thing. You knew that I couldn't do it without doing one verb tense at least, right? Right? Ha-ha. Uh -huh. Yeah-ha. This is... Are you ready? I know. I can hardly wait. This is a present... Huh? Passive... Yes! Indicative. <laughs> there you have it. Let's bow our heads and pray. <laughs> Present passive indicative. Do you know what that means? That the Spirit of God is giving to you in this moment. Like this moment. He's giving to you a manifestation of His grace for the common good. Present tense. Passive He's giving it. You don't have to search for it. You can't earn it. He's chosen what he wants you to have. It's his gift, and it's indicative. It is for everyone who calls on Jesus as Lord. Every believer, without exception, has at least one gift. Every believer has something to contribute. 
The work of each individual is incredible. Every believer is called to exercise their gifts. And when we do, we manifest the very presence of God. And I love what it says here. It's a manifestation of the Spirit to build the common good or to build the body. When we manifest the Spirit, literally we make Him known or we allow Him to appear or He reveals Himself. When we faithfully exercise the gifts that we've been given, the miraculous, a miraculous thing occurs. Something supernatural happens. The Holy Spirit makes His presence known through us to others. Is that not incredible? I wish I had time to tell you my own story. Because most people see me as an extrovert who loves to talk a lot. I am a hyper introvert. Hyper introvert. English is my second language. And yet, for whatever reason, God has given me this ability to proclaim his word. So it falls on me. It's incumbent on me to proclaim it to you. Because it's not about me. It's about the Spirit manifesting himself through me for the common good. But here's the thing, folks. If that's true of me, think of what it's like for you. When we faithfully exercise the gifts we've been given, the miraculous occurs. First Peter 4 puts it this way. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Isn't that lordship language? Amen. See, here's the thing. When we exercise the gifts we've been given, God makes his presence known in and through us to his body. The Holy Spirit reveals himself through each one of us. But when we fail to exercise the gifts we've been given, we cheat the body and deprive it of God's favor. And we greedily hoard God's grace for ourselves and, and we grieve the Holy Spirit because it's given for the common good. Literally to build, to support, to encourage, to empower, to infuse the church with God's presence. The gifts are given to build the body. The gifts are given to manifest the Spirit. The gifts are given to equip and unite us on our mission for King Jesus. Now, back to the chocolate. Who has the chocolate? Ah, yes. And we're up top because I can't, I just see lights up top. Great. Now you can open your chocolate. Make it quick because the timer is, I'm six minutes over already. And it's, I'm going to blame it on you. Open your box. Now tell me what you see inside there. Graham, what do you see? A variety of chocolates, right? Yeah, isn't that great? Now, could you open that? Yeah, that's great. Could you pass it around to the people around you? <laughs> that's fantastic. Thank you. See, to each one is given a gift, a manifestation of the Van Acker. Slight paraphrase. For the common good. Doesn't that feel great? Yeah, not so much, right? Yeah, I know. I know. And that's part of the problem, is we think they're about us. Folks, the gifts are not about us. The gifts are about God manifesting his presence through us to build his body. My final point is that uh, we're called to focus on the giver, not the gifts. And I'm going to leave that be. You can read it for yourself, verses 8 through 11. 
But you'll discover in there that there's one constant. It's the giver of the gifts. They're given through the Spirit, according to the Spirit, by the Spirit, by one Spirit, by one and the same Spirit. And what changes is the variety of gifts. And so we shouldn't focus so much on the gifts that we have. We should focus on the giver and ask him to reveal himself through us that we might bless one another and build the kingdom. If Jesus is your Lord, you need to get busy serving his body. That's my encouragement to you. Did you manage to distribute them all? Gwen, did you take one? Nice. Well done. Did you get one? Nice. Zero. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, someone take him out for lunch. <laughs> That's how it works. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're so good. You're so good. You died and rose again, and in doing so, authenticated your lordship. And, and as a result of you being the lord of the universe, you extended to us salvation because your death paid the price. And your resurrection authenticated your right to claim us as your own. Holy Spirit, would you cement in our lives the truth of the Lordship of Christ? Would you open our hearts to the gifts of grace that you've given to us individually, as you've determined? And then would you make us bold to embrace the ministries that Jesus has prepared, that the Father will empower, and that will build your body? Oh, Lord, thank you for your presence here at Central. Thank you for your word that's true. Now find us faithful as we go and embrace the world. In Jesus' name, amen.